Guys, it has been a doozy of a day, let me tell you. We oh. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. Our lovely, beautiful, loving family has gifted both me and Aaliyah very cool recording equipment um, to use for our podcast recordings. And we can't figure out how to use it. We've been literally trying all day to figure out how to get this to work. And we finally figured out a method, but, like, we need to practice with it some more. And, like, I, I don't even know. So it's it's been yeah it's been doozy I have this beautiful thank you grandpa and grandma so much this beautiful mic setup and now it's just like looming over my shoulder as I record with my tripod and iPhone <laughs> like back to my <laughs> primitive methods so you know what next week or you know our next episode we'll be back with some amazing audio but for now it's just our normal voices, so. <laughs> Which, you know what, are already beautiful and amazing, so. Right? If that's not enough for you, then you should just leave. <laughs> and on that <laughs> note, this is Letter by Letter. So we're here for season two. This is very exciting. And our very first episode for season two is called Unpopular Opinions. Al, do you want to explain what we're going to be delving into? Yes, of course. So we decided to have a whole episode about common conceptions and or misconceptions about writing, about genres, about ideas, and good habits, bad habits, all the different things that you hear about writing and what our personal take is on about them and why do you believe that? And yeah, I'm actually really excited when we came up with the idea her and I both were like oh my gosh this is so exciting and so um yeah and what better way to start off something than with a bit of controversy because we haven't had enough of that in 2020 why not bring it into 2021 <laughs> so um yeah so if you don't mind starting us off Mel's here is one of the big questions you're not a writer until you're published. What do you feel about that? Okay, there's kind of a lot to go off of here. But I think this is kind of a common thing where people are hesitant to use the word writer. And I think, Al, you and I have seen this from people who have like talked to us about this podcast. And they're like, oh, I'm not a writer. But like, I write stories every once in a while. And like, I'm really interested. Like, the explaining why they're listening to the podcast and they're like oh but I'm not a published anything and it's like you are a writer if you're writing something you're a writer you can't really call yourself an author until you have published something um because that's literally I think that's like the definition of what an author is <laughs> so there is a difference between that but feel free to call yourself a writer and don't be like that's not pretentious I mean mm -mm. <laughs> maybe to a certain extent it is but I think in general if you're you are passionate about writing and you like writing in general even if it's not something that you want to go into full-time or anything you know that I think that's what makes you a writer mm -hmm. I think you can sometimes you don't hesitate to call someone with an artistic ability an artist yeah for someone who has writing abilities and can tell a good story for some weird reason there's all these like gatekeeping on what counts and what doesn't count so yeah I would just say you know maybe when you're starting to get into it you don't know if you love it yet yeah like 
I wouldn't necessarily call you a writer, but if you know that it's a passion for you, if you know that when you are on your downtime and one of the first things you think of is, oh, I want to write, then that's what writers do. That's what writers be be doing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, don't be so hard on yourself. And for those of you who are like, you haven't been published, so you're not a writer. Well, like, chill, you know, and it probably <laughs> is just them. Oh, what's it called? Um projecting their own insecurities onto you and we're not about that here another thing that we wanted to touch on was um the idea that well specifically for the contest nano remo um if you've heard about it it's basically a program that helps writers to write fifty thousand words of a novel in the month of november um and here's the thing There are two different ways that you could go with this. There are basically two schools of thought. (laughs) Bears, beats, Battlestar Galacta. Go on. (laughs) So basically, what I think I took from that point is that writing 50,000 words, while impressive, doesn't make you a good writer that that's not a novel. That's kind of you just journaling or blurbing. And that 50,000 words doesn't tell a story. I know we just said, don't try to gatekeep what the definition of a writer is, but I think you can gatekeep what the definition of a novel or a good story is because there are certain standards and word count has nothing to do with making it great or not great. You feel me? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the main issues with writing is that there is no formula to what a great story is supposed to be. There are guidelines, but I mean, there are some crazy, wacky stories out there that are amazing. And as soon as you start to say, oh, after I write 50,000 words, then it's going to be great. Then you're putting this kind of pressure on yourself to make those 50,000 words perfect. Um, That's just not how it works. So it's important to just kind of go with the flow and do what you want to do. Some other ideas. Al, what are your thoughts on this? Does the muse exist? So I'm actually really excited to talk about this because me and Mel's, we gave our opinions about most of these topics so we can kind of gauge where we were going, but we haven't discussed this idea of whether or not we agree or believe in the muse. So for those of you who don't know what the muse refers to, there's this idea amongst writers and just amongst artists in general that there's this, every artist has this concept, this story idea, this novel, this poem, this thing that they are obsessed with and chasing their whole lives. And it'll basically, if they are ever, if they can ever find it, if they can ever pin it down, they will create the best thing they can create. An example, maybe some might say that like JK Rowling's muse was Harry Potter and everything that she wrote before and afterward will never amount to that because that was her muse. That was the best thing. And that's kind of how, like, that's how I believe the definition of muse is. Do you agree with that definition, Mel's? Just as we walk into a debate about it. Do you feel me there? I think so. I think there's also another aspect of what it could be, which is just, like, something that gives you inspiration. Normally, like, um, something in in nature or sometimes it's, like, what I normally hear it referred to as is, like, a person or something. It's like, oh, I found my muse and, like, this person inspires me to do the best work I can. Um, but I think it could be taken both ways. And I, I think we should focus on your definition. Okay. More. <laughs> because it's like, can you be inspired? Well, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I want to say that I don't believe in it because, but I do. Here's, here's why. 
I want to say that, you know, there can't be this one thing and we always are creating and like you're, you know, I hate the idea that you maybe already reached your best and you'll never be able to do it again. Like, I just hate that idea. Um, But part of me can't deny that as a writer, and maybe this is just me and this is just my own experience, I can feel sometimes, and this is going to get a little bit heady and vibey, but I can sometimes feel like I'm getting close to something. Like I've been circling around this one idea or book or poem. And maybe it's not going to be great by the world standards, but I know for me, when I get to writing that thing, it'll be the best I've ever done. And it'll just be like a coalition of all my obsessions and all these things that I've fallen in love with over the years. And it'll just be a package of all of that. And is that the muse? I kind of think that's the only word I can think of to encompass how I feel in that moment when I'm listening to music and the piano is going and like the light is hitting the trees just the right way. And I feel like there's something like on the tip of my tongue that I want to say, but I don't know what it is. That's what I feel like the muse is. And so I do believe in it in a sense. But I don't know about you, Mel's. What are your thoughts? That's interesting. I, my immediate response was no, I don't think it exists. Um, which is kind of, I mean, you kind of touched on this. I think it's dangerous to assume that. And once they hit that, like, you know, there's no going back. Like, that was the best you've ever done and that's it kind of a thing. Because once you start believing that, you can get really lazy with your writing and it's just, it's all a disappointing blob. But what you just said makes sense to me. So I think that means there can be multiple muses, which maybe defeats the point. I was just about but to I say think... that. Dude, we're so insane. Wow. <laughs> I mean, maybe that defeats the point of what a muse is in the first place but I think you can have your best form of writing in different like different uh genres almost like say you wrote a poem that was like the best poem you've ever written but then the next day you write um you know the beginning of a novel and like that's the best novel you've ever written so I think there are different um ways to measure that you know what Mm -hmm. I mean um and I feel like it's a little bit unfair to have that blanket statement of of being like this is the best um this was my muse kind of a thing yeah I also think too um I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't multiply in various genres I was thinking that okay here's another big one and Mia Mel's had literally tons to say about this write what you know thoughts okay well Here's the thing about this point is that the idea of people saying, um, write what you know, stick to, you know, your roots kind of a thing. That is very High School Musical 1 energy and we want to stay away from that. Stick to the status quo. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. Okay, basically, my point here is um, (laughs) generally... <laughs> I got lost in I'm the high school musical. <laughs> I know you have to find know, your way back. I'm distracted. I think for me, a big part of why I write is like escapism, um, and to write about experiences that I've never had or a story that is not like something inspired from my life exactly, but just a fun story that I want to tell. So I think in that case, it's okay to not write what you know and write something different and outside of your own personal experience 
However, when it comes to your characters and the kinds of emotions that they feel and what they're going through, a lot of that is taken from my own um, emotions and inspired by my own personality, basically. Um, Because you have to be in that character's head to make it believable. And in that case, I would say write what you know in in that case scenario. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I have a couple things to add on to that point. Um, when you're talking about escapism, me and Mel, something, how I phrased it was like, if you can't escape your own life, how can you expect the novel you write to help someone escape theirs? Because that's why we read, right? To kind of get out of our heads. So if the writer couldn't even get out of their own head and couldn't imagine a little bit, then how are they supposed to inspire us to imagine? So it's your job as a writer to write things you don't know and have an experience you'll never experience. There's, you know, write what you know, sure. But here's a blanket statement. Like, if we could only hear about murderers and read about a murderer's perspective, if only murderers could write those stories then we'd never get to read that. That was messy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or like all these ideas of where does fantasy fit in to write what you know? There's definitely a place for imagination. And to be honest, I think that most people, when they say write what you know, they're referring to the emotional state. You have to be incredibly empathetic as a writer. And I think that that's really, as a writer, you have to have empathy for your villains to make them interesting and not one-sided. As a writer, you have to have empathy for the struggles your characters go through to make them realistic and not just basic, cheesy, everything that you always hear. So there's that element to everything. And I just wanted to add that to the point. But at the end of the day, you know, branch out and try it. And you'll know pretty soon too. Um, if it's a topic that doesn't fit you. Also, side point, we mentioned this at the very end of season one, but for PC reasons, and for good reasons, there are boundaries as to what you should write about. Like, I think that people should write about, you know, experiences of racism if they have actually experienced racism or at the very least that people who have felt things like that their stories should be valued in a different way than people who haven't so that's just that statement there so but other than that write what you don't know try it out and see what you find and educate yourself along the way I mean as writers we're not just telling people things we also learn as we write ourselves so yeah nice thank you um (laughs) Okay, here's a topic that is kind of super important to me. So let's get into it. But the idea that somebody else has already done it, so you shouldn't do it. Al, what are your thoughts? We have so many. We literally, yes, they're brimming with um, bullet points on this one. Okay, the first thing that I thought when I read this line was uh, a line from a poem that I recently studied in literature class. So here it is. It's from Alpha Step by Jack Underwood. There are more ways of saying things than things worth saying. Which is terrifying when you kind of think about it. That there's not a lot of things worth talking about. I mean, as humans, we circle around the same ideas. Time, death, love, friendship. We all just have these universal themes. Innocence, you know, evil. Like, But it's all the same. And... I think that there are plenty of ways to tell those stories and to dive into those topics, um, but there are not a lot of new topics available. The question, though, is kind of like, can you exhaust them? 
can you exhaust those stories? Can you exhaust those plot lines, those overarching character archetypes? Like, can you exhaust them? And I don't think you can. And me and Mel's gave some reasons why we don't agree with this statement. Mel's? Yeah, um, I think just for one thing, for me, if I get a story idea and I'm really into it, and then the more I get into it, the more I'm like, oh, this is really similar to a movie I just watched or a book I just read. Then I feel like, oh, now I can't write it. I think that's something that we as writers should stop doing um, because we just instinctively be like, oh, well, they've already done it, so we can't do it. And I'm not saying you should rip off everyone's stories. That's not the goal. But you can totally be inspired by a different story and take that same genre or setting or whatever and turn it into something new. I think that's kind of the purpose of what a story is, is to inspire other people to imagine something the same way and turn it into something even greater. Mm -hmm. Also, like, usually when there's this idea, somebody else has already done it. So you talking about like the idea of the story, like um, dystopian novel, government's bad, you know, and then like a strong woman comes in and changes it all. And she has this love triangle that's been done thousands of times. And that's true. But, you know, there's so many other facets to writing. Like, have they done it? Has, like, a person with a lyrical sense of writing done it? Like, have you heard, like, more of, like, a poetic description of a dystopia? You know, there's all these different kinds of ways of looking at it. Or have you had someone who's more of a comedian? Like, have you had, like, a comedic dystopia before? The statement's also true that oh my gosh no one can be you but you that's not how they phrase it but do you know what i'm saying like be yourself there's no one like you out there that applies to writing as well your idea may be the same idea as someone else. It's gonna sound and read different because you're different and you sound different than everyone else and you kind of have to trust that at the end of the day there's actually no way that someone can write the exact same story as someone else unless they're literally trying to so mm-hmm. This is already an impossible thing. Okay, now we go into more about habits for like what kind of habits make a good writer. Here's one. You have to write every single day in order to improve. Discipline is the most important thing. Thoughts? Well, right off the bat, discipline is not the most important thing. (laughs) I mean, if you are a full-time writer and this is what your livelihood depends on, in that case, discipline is the most important thing. But if you're learning to become a writer and you're trying to just make your writing better, there's so many more elements than to be worried about discipline. And I think for a while, I've kind of been beating myself up for like doing writing more sporadically than I would like to. Um, But I was just talking to Abby the other day and she was like, oh, if you don't know Abby, she was on, she was our first and so far only guest on this podcast. And if you would like to listen to the episode, it's not hard to find. It's literally called Abby. So you should go listen. (laughs) But I was talking to her the other day and I was like, I, I'm really sad that I haven't been working on my writing enough, but there's just been so much going on and I have so much other projects going on and I just didn't really have the motivation to do it and she was like that's fine and I was like really and she was like yeah if you don't want to write it right now don't write it and I was like oh yeah you're right (laughs) and like I feel like that's just something important to remind ourselves of also writing every day has to be exhausting at some point like once you're writing every single day like does it even sound good or are you just forcing words onto the paper? So yeah, those are my thoughts. No, yeah, I would 
agree with you for sure. And I think it's it really depends on what you use writing for. Is it like more of a hobby? Then yeah, don't hurt yourself every single day. Is it more of a passion? Then probably put more effort into it. Um, if it's your career, then yes, work on it. It's basically the same as being an athlete. You know, you have to keep that muscle working. I would just say I agree with everything that Mel said, and I would say that is my stance. But part of me also feels like it is important to not let months and weeks go by without writing. Um, not in a way where you should feel bad. And it's not about not making progress in your novel. It's more to me that if you are a writer, part of you needs to write. And I just know myself, if I'm not writing for months, something's wrong. If that makes sense. Like, that's my thing. So it's not so much about discipline. It's more about you're probably not taking time to do the things that you love because writing is my way of expressing myself. And if it's something that you're kind of, quote unquote, not to be a romantic, but something that you're meant to do, then you will find a way and a time to do it somewhat consistently. And maybe consistent is like once a month. It doesn't have to be 10,000 words a day, but it should show some kind of pattern in your life and you should reflect it in some way if not for the sake of discipline then just for the sake of your own happiness you feel yeah oh, i sure. did it again i said you feel good ah. <laughs> let's count how many times Leah says you feel in this episode <laughs> okie dokie now here is one that i'm very passionate about the idea and we put this under the habits category because it falls under the habits of not taking care of yourself. My thoughts, because I'm sure we both have a lot of them as we're Enneagram 2, so emotions and their impact <laughs> on people and how they're able to operate is really important to us. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, this kind of goes off of what you were just saying about how writing every day is something, or, you know, writing consistently is something that is good for most writers. That's more of a personal thing than like a writing advice thing. And this is definitely more of a personal thing. Do not, I literally cannot stress this enough, do not prioritize your art and your craft over your own physical mental health. Because the second that you start to sacrifice um, your own well-being for what you're writing, then it's going to be harder and harder to write. Um, and overall, you are the priority and I don't mean to say that in like only think about yourself that's all you need to care about but when it comes to writing it's easy for creative people to get into their own heads and just kind of like stay in that mental space but it's so important to take a step back every once in a while and take care of your life and your relationships and just your health in general in order to prosper as a writer also it's not that every single depressed, um, anxious person has the best writing. Oftentimes, they have very good writing because they're so in tune with those emotions and it's just raw and vulnerable and honest. But my favorite book is Little Woman, and I would never call Louisa May Alcott a tortured artist. <laughs> so you can have great writing as a fully functioning human. Oh, yes. That totally makes sense. And I would also like to say, like, I have a lot of um, history. My writing, I've had to deal with this question so much in my writing journey. And I thought of something, actually, um, while you were talking, Mel's, about how don't prioritize an idea or something that you're trying to get in your art over your well-being. 
um, as you guys may know, I was working on a memoir over the summer and I got pretty like 11,000 words into it. Um, and it was really great and I loved it. Um, I didn't stop because it was hurting myself, but there was an aspect of it that I had to be really careful about what I wrote and when I wrote and how for Lana wrote. I had never struggled with that before, but I found that because I was writing about really intimate times in my life that were hard for me to look back on and in a sense, like not to be dramatic, but some elements of those things were a bit traumatic for me. And um, I would have physical like reactions to what I was writing. Like I, I struggle with bruxism, which is basically just intense teeth grinding when you have anxiety. So my, I would literally have to like massage my jaw for like 10 minutes after writing because I had been grinding it so much while I was doing that. And I would tell Mel's all of these symptoms and reactions I was having. She was like, Leah, maybe don't, maybe just don't write today or this week. Like I had to be careful about when I did that because sometimes what you're writing is hard and it can, you can have such a deep emotional connection to it that it can not be healthy for you. And it blurs the line as to where you are in the piece and where you are in real life. So tread on that carefully. And also, like Mel said, it's the honesty and vulnerability that makes, quote unquote, what these tortured artists are writing so powerful. It's not the actual content. So what that means is you can be vulnerable in happiness just as much as you can be vulnerable in sadness. Or if it's hard to imagine being vulnerable in happiness, think about romance or love. You know, you can be really vulnerable about how much you love someone. And that's not a sad or down emotion that's a beautiful positive emotion that has like no end and is really deep and everlasting and so that has as much potential and as much you know ability to be just as powerful as a poem about sadness and I don't think we talk about that enough how much positive emotions can have and how much a creative impact they can have on people so in short tortured artist is a lie in my opinion, and it doesn't exist. And also eventually you'll have to learn to take care of yourself. And eventually, if you really aren't taking care of yourself, you know, you're gonna get behind on schoolwork. So you have to focus on that instead of write. Or you will sleep in so much that you, you know, are so groggy that you can't focus when you wanna write. There's so many ways that if you don't focus on mentally and emotionally, that'll eventually inhibit your ability to create. And we don't want that. We don't want that. Okay, now we're going to um, transition into a section uh, about writing specifically um, and different writing tips that we have heard or experienced from other people and we kind of wanted to put our own spin on it. So first of all, Aaliyah, do you want to explain what kill your darlings means? Yes, of course. (laughs) Actually, a funny note is that I told my mom about this idea of this episode and she was like, unpopular pins. I'm like, yeah, like kill your darlings, whether there's a muse or not. She's like, what do these phrases mean? I think you have to be a writer <laughs> to even know what you're referencing. So it's good that we're breaking some of these down. Um, so kill your darlings. Say you wrote a poem and the poem's great. Everything's great in the poem. And there's this one line that you just find is beautiful And it's gorgeous and it's so delicious. And you're just like, this is a great, great line, but it doesn't fit in this poem. It just doesn't work. It's weird in context or it maybe contradicts yourself. It's just, it's not working. Kill your darlings means do you delete? Do you take out your favorite part of a piece because that part doesn't fit in with the piece? Does that make sense? Like almost like sacrificing a little beauty so that the whole thing makes sense for like the benefit of everyone else you know what I mean what's the word um 
the good, all good in the end. No, all. Uh, it's not end justifies the means. Uh, good for all. I think that's what it no, is. No, no, no. The end justifies the no, no, no. means? It's what Dumbledore says. He believes in, like, the good. The greater good. That's the word. Oh my god. Do you kill your darlings for the greater good? Do you, uh, no, I'm going to rephrase that. Do you kill a good line for the greater good of the whole poem? So, Mills, what are your thoughts on this? Kill your darlings. Generally, I would say that if I had a great line, but it just didn't work for whatever I was putting it in, I would just save that somewhere else and use that as an inspiration for another piece I do in the future. But this... Um, right before we went on winter break in my English class, we were studying Emily Dickinson. Every once in a while in one of Emily Dickinson's poems, she'll just completely break her structure um, and go into a completely different tone for just like one stanza or something. And part of that is just because like, well, it's Emily Dickinson. She can do whatever she wants. But part of it is just like, that was a great line. And I'm going to I'm just going to say that it fits into this poem. And then she just did, and it just happened that way. So I think it kind of depends um, from piece to piece. But my general advice for that would be to just remove it, not delete it, um, but just save it for something else. Yeah, I think the problem is, is that um, I totally agree with everything you said. And most of the times, most writers will tell you, you have to kill your darlings for two reasons. One, because it doesn't fit. Also, there is a chance. There's a chance that your darling isn't as darling as it seems. You know, like, I've for sure written things in the moment. This is a little bit of a separate point, but I've written things in the moment where I'm like, this is genius. This is going to solve the problems of the universe. Like, why am I not getting a Nobel Prize? And then I come in the morning, I wake up, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, it's literally something like the sun rises, but does it? Question mark. And I'm just like, <laughs> like, that's what I thought was so great. So also, time will tell what beauties are actually beautiful, what darlings are actually darling. And don't just rely on your own kind of, you know, hype yourself up, but also recognize that what sounds great in your head may not actually sound great on the page. And if it isn't fitting already, maybe it's okay to, like Mel said, always save, never throw away, always keep those little breadcrumbs somewhere. But, you know, it's okay to just delete it because, you know, there's a chance, maybe 30, 50, honestly, 60% chance that it's not that great. So, again, unless you're Emily Dickinson, then we leave room for interpretation and things can change. Right. Um, <laughs> Okie dokie. So, now, Mel's, you actually found this next point. You read a thing that said, writer's block is a sign that you're doing something wrong. And you had a very passionate feeling about this when you read that opinion. And tell me what you were feeling. Yeah, so... I could totally be taking this out of context. This is a quote from Ray Bradbury, who I'm sure you all know is an exceptionally talented, successful writer. So I'm not really trying to step on his toes here. I could just be taking this out of context. But when I read it initially, I was like shocked and really upset with it because writer's block can be caused by a ton of different things. And for me personally, normally I get writer's block when there's something going on in my personal life that is hindering me from writing or it's just like not a great time or whatever. And I really hate the idea that some people are jumping the gun and just being like, oh, 
it's difficult for me to write right now. I must be doing something wrong. That's super discouraging and it probably makes them want to just trash everything they're writing. And I just think there are many different reasons why writer's block is happening. So I think just consider your options. Think about what's going on in your life. Um, Maybe you're not super interested in this topic that you're writing. And maybe you are doing something wrong. But just like take a step back and think about what's going on and evaluate the situation before saying blatantly that you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm actually okay. I'm not going to disagree with you. I agree with everything that you just said. I kind of read this differently. So if you guys don't know, are you disagreeing with me right now? Are you going to tell me that I'm wrong? Am I wrong? (laughs) You floated in a big purple bubble, Doug. Okay. Anyways, so writer's block sign that you're doing something wrong. I understood this to actually be similar to something that we said in a um, podcast episode, season one. Uh, where we talked about the different forms of writer's block. I believe it's called Take a Walk Around the Block was the episode. And we referenced that there's writer's block in the personal life and there's writer's block in the story. So it is possible, I think, and you mentioned this a little bit, that you can um, be in a writer's block because of your story. Maybe you wrote yourself into a bit of a wall. Maybe you, you know, like Mel said, maybe you chose a topic you don't care about. That's maybe Ron is a really strong word but in a sense you are doing something Ron in that sense because you chose to write about something that you're not really passionate about so of course you're not going to be inspired to write about it that's a Ron choice for lack of a better term or lack of a better word and yes writer's block can be totally caused by emotional stress and things going on in your life and just being busy and just being out of the creative zone that has nothing to that's not wrong that's just life but there are things like maybe you're telling it from the wrong perspective and because of that your story is limited and you're realizing that and you don't want to deal with it so your brain just shuts down writer's block those are instances where you are doing something quote-unquote wrong and it is fueling or creating said writer's block do you agree are we going to have our first disagreement in our 17 years of friendship on this podcast right now (laughs) no 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 I totally agree with you I see that point narrow squeak that was now (laughs) (laughs) another point does a story need a setup in other words exposition exposition is basically for lack of a better term but i just said setting up the story so do you always need chapter one to just be having the characters be living their normal life and then chapter two bam something goes wrong instant plot point or can like the first thing go wrong in the first sentence like can it just be like my cousin died and we never know what happened before and we just find that out along the way what's good what's not good Give me some thoughts, Mills. Okay, so the initial thing to take away from this is that, yes, you do need exposition at some point. But I think exposition can be any length or shape or form and honestly can be woven in to the plot points that you're talking about. So, for example, another Marissa Mayer book is uh, Cinder. The first plot point in that book happens within the first, like, three pages. And then as you go through the first couple chapters, you learn more about Cinder and this world that she lives in and, you know, the side characters and all that jazz. But that's happening while the plot is still, you know, growing and developing and it's all kind of meshed together. Versus the series, um, The Mysterious Benedict Society, that story has maybe one of the longest uh, setups that I've ever read. It takes like 
five or six chapters, I think, before you're really in the thick of the story. Mm -hmm. So it kind of depends on what sort of story that you're telling. And it all really rests on your characters. Um, I think Cinder relies a lot on plot and just action versus Benedict is almost completely reliant on the characters. So that's just kind of the way it worked out for those two stories. I don't know. What do you think? I agree. I think it's a question of um, in your story, are you trying to know what happens or are you trying to get to know a person? Usually if you're trying to get to know a person, you kind of take your time to sit in it with them and you, you don't need to have this rapid plot points and things going on. You know, you can take the time to get to know them. Um, alternatively, of course, in a more action-packed thing, you know, it's almost like, tell me who you are on the way, and you just kind of, like, run with them, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I agree yeah. with everything that you said, and it really, you know, different point of views on that create different books, and that's totally all right. Again, no right or wrong way. So, our last thing, and this will be yickety split super quick. So, um, we wanted to do a bit of a genre-based section. So, I am a writer of poetry. Mel's is a writer of fantasy. We definitely branch out from that. And you guys have heard about that before. But poetry and fantasy just happen to be really critiqued genres of writing. And so we kind of wanted to address the misconceptions people have about fantasy and poetry and kind of go on a little bit of a soapbox for a moment to defend our beloved art forms. So Melz, if you want to hit it with fantasy, I'll hit it with poetry, and then we can both debate about classics at the very end. So for fantasy, there are a ton of fantasy stereotypes. And honestly, for most of you, as soon as we said fantasy, there's probably a dragon is what you're picturing. Um, and you wouldn't be wrong. Like, obviously, dragons are a huge part of fantasy because they're fantastic beasts, whatever. But I think there are a lot of different forms of fantasy, and it can be a lot more subtle than most people believe. First of all, fantasy is not just for kids. There are plenty of adult fantasy books, and they're not cheesy. <laughs> Some of them are, let's be honest. Some of them are super cheesy, but there can be really, really, really great stories told through the genre of fantasy. Um, like, for example, the Inkheart trilogy, that is definitely a fantasy series, but at least in the first book, it's all told in the real wor world. Like, for the first, honestly, for the first half of the book, it's completely realism. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? There are just lots of different forms of fantasy. And before you just shut it down, give it a try, and it will probably surprise you. Um, now, my thoughts on poetry. It is probably the form of writing that people most either they deeply love it or they hate it like a lot of people have very passionate feelings about poetry here are some of the opinions that i've heard one that it's easy to write because you have situations like um ruby core i'm sorry if i pronounced that wrong i've only ever read her name i've never seen it written now but she's the author of milk and honey and you know her poems are very simple and sometimes they are kind of just like sentences split into three lines and you're like well i can do that that's a thought. Um, some people say it doesn't make sense. Usually these people are referring to Shakespeare. Some people say that it's an elitist thing and that, you know, you poets purposefully put metaphors in so that people don't understand what they're saying. I've definitely met people who are like that. And last, this is more of a stereotype of spoken word poetry, but it has to do with what poetry is about. 
A lot of people think that you can only write spoken word on the following topics, rage, sex, suicide, feminism, and racism. That's basically it. And I have to admit, Button Poetry, which is a YouTube channel that upholds and, you know, just spreads word about um, local poets, it does have a lot of talk about suicide and feminism and racism, rage, and like all those different emotions. Here's my thing. Poetry to me is one of the most beautiful forms of creative writing. It's obviously why I fell in love with it and it's obviously why I do it. It's not easy. When you take a thing like um, Milk and Honey, it's hard. There may be only 10 words on the page, but those 10 words made millions of people feel something. And that is not easy to do. And almost like the idea of 50,000 words doesn't make you a author. You know, there is a poet knows how to be concise like no other writer does. And I truly believe that. And that's not to applaud myself. I'm totally still working on it. But there's something about how a poet writes in a way that immediately punches you and hits you the way that song lyrics do. And you're like, wow, how do they make me feel so much in such like a little dose? It's kind of like, um, what's it called? Ambrosia in like Greek mythology, you know? That's totally nerdy. Uh But it's like a drink that 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 little (laughs) sip is so full. And that's what poetry is to me. Secondly, that it doesn't make sense. Honestly, they're not trying to keep you at an arm's distance. It's almost like this whole other language. And in some ways, I mean, song lyrics are a form of poetry. And some of the language that they use and some of the lines are just so intimate and real. And yes, they use metaphors, but that just makes it all the more powerful. And it just connects to the more creative, imaginative side of your being. So I don't really think it's elitist. And I think that it does make sense if you read it in context and if you take the time to really break everything down line by line. And also part of it is fun that it doesn't make sense because that means a lot of it is up to interpretation. And that's what's so great about poetry too. Like song lyrics, they can be taken so many different ways and they touch so many different people. And then lastly about the topics, and we've kind of touched on this before in terms of write what you know, write what you don't know. You can write a poem about anything. It doesn't have to be sad. It can be a happy poem. Happy poems are just as valid as sad poems. It doesn't have to be a poem that's raging against politics and about social justice. Those poems are great and they're awesome and I love listening to them. But they can also just be about how your Tuesday morning was. Things like happiness, Tuesday mornings, how the flowers looked on your morning walk. Those things sometimes make me cry just as much as poems about female empowerment. You feel me? So anyways, yeah, that's my take and that's my opinion on poetry. Um, so for this last genre, which is classics, we almost got into an argument about it. And I was really excited to have, you know, this kind of controversy on the podcast for all of you people to hear. But no, we still agree with each other, which is disappointing. But... Aaliyah came up with this idea that um, classics are kind of like this thing that are like untouchable and for readers and writers it's like a general consensus that we're all like oh we all have to love all of these um, you know these classics you know Anne of Green Gables, Charles Dickens, Wuthering Heights we have to read all of those if we want to be considered a serious writer or even a serious reader. And Aaliyah was like, no, that I don't. She was like, do you want to explain your feelings about Huckleberry Finn? Yes, Finn's? okay, so here's my point. I, and maybe I'm standing my thunder here because I know she was leading up to this point, but I just have to, I don't want people to be like, she doesn't like to read. Here's my thing. I am currently, I have read Little Women. That's not a very difficult book to read, but it is considered a classic. I'm currently reading Wuthering Heights and I'm loving it. I read 100 Years of Solitude and Beloved and The Importance of Being Earnest. A lot of these were just because I took AP literature, but 
I'm loving it. Like I would have read them on my own time as well. All those are considered classics and I love them and I think they're beautiful. I have also read 10 pages of Huckleberry Finn and wanted to kill myself. And I think that, <laughs> that was intense. I, I just, I, I don't, here's the thing. I loved Gone with the Wind. I read a thousand pages of Gone with the Wind, but I cannot read 10 pages of Huckleberry Finn. That's an interesting thing when you stop and think about it, because Huckleberry Finn, people read that in what, seventh grade? Gone with the Wind, sometimes even grown adults don't even touch that thing. So I think that it's not about lack of high reading level, and it's not about me not understanding it. It's about me just not liking that author. And that's completely valid now. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't read it. What that means is that I respect them, but I don't love their work. And I think that as writers and as readers, we should be able to dance and walk that fine line. Mel's? Yeah, what, I mean, I'm a huge lover of all, basically all classics, um, just because of how crazy the writing is. It's, it's all amazing. And what I was saying to Al was like, classics are revered for so long for a reason. It's because the writing is incredible and there's something to learn from ev- for every writer. There's going to be something that you can learn from a classic. That being said, do you have to love them? No, you totally don't have to. But, you know, there are there's always going to be an opportunity to learn from them. And so don't take them for granted. But, you know, don't you don't have to idolize them. And not only because dinner is ready and my family is waiting for me, but I think that <laughs> that wraps up episode one, Unpopular Opinion, season two, letter by letter. Um, thank you, guys. This was awesome. Microphone issues aside, I really enjoyed this episode. I feel like it's going to be one of my favorites already. It was super fun. And it's just super fun to be recording again. It's very exciting. And hopefully next week we'll be back with... Um... <laughs> some really awesome audio quality Mm -hmm. so look forward forward to to that that. dude i actually really wanted us to disagree because i wanted at one point to be like false and then it could be like this whole moment but it didn't happen it didn't work so sorry yeah yeah it's okay okay. anyways love you guys so so much and we'll see you next week bye pickletip bye pickletip Tonight I'll dream while I'm in bed And silly thoughts run through